1: Welcome back. The big issue in last Thursday's provincial budget is the lack of any allocation for increasing the amount of care and staffing in long-term care. That's where I began my interview with Finance Minister Rod Phillips a little earlier this morning. Finance Minister Rod Phillips, thank you so much for doing this. Maybe it's a pleasure to be with you. Okay, so Let's cut to the chase. Long-term care, obviously, we're very interested in that here. Before the budget was tabled, your government uh, talked about making a commitment to four hours of direct care per resident per day. But there's no budget item to cover that. And and, uh, my understanding is if there's no item in the budget, things don't happen.
2: Well, it, uh, you know we have put the cost of that into our long-term financial plan, and you have to remember, you know, when we set the commission of inquiry in place back in the summer, we asked Associate Chief Justice Morocco to make interim recommendations, um, he made those recommendations around four hours of care uh, literally two weeks before our November budget. So we, uh, you know, I think that's uh, pretty quick for government work to have adopted that recommendation um, and to have made sure that we, you know, we put the dollars required into the long-term plan. But this is going to involve Libby hiring tens of thousands of more staff um, this is something that the Minister of long term Care, Mary Lee Fullerton, is going to be bringing a staffing plan forward on next month. Obviously, you can imagine everything that's involved in that kind of level of increase, and it's not that we're going to wait right now. The, the level of care is two point seven hours we're not waiting for for four years to to to, to see improvements we 're going to see them over time, but we 're going to have to scale up on the training side. I've already talked to the Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, about the important role that immigration can play. Uh, we've made some adjustments already for the immediate term in terms of salary levels. So this is a major systemic change that we are going to see get done. And uh, and there'll be the next steps of the plan in the March budget.
1: What is the, the figure over the long term of what it will cost?
2: Well, that's why we have to finalize. Uh, again, we can make plans you know with, within sort of uh, broad parameters in terms of being able to afford it but we have to have a detailed plan as I said the recommendation only came from from our commission uh, a little over two weeks ago now well, so to- so that's what the March budget that's what the March budget can help lay out further Not, and uh, people would understand we need a, we need a staffing plan to be able to hire tens of thousands of people and do that in an organized way to make sure people have the skills how many PSWs how many nurses so that's the, that's the work that, that needs to be done and uh, and it will be done.
1: I mean, to be fair, that's not the first time that recommendation was made. And, and the previous commission into the wet law for murders made the same uh, recommendation. But uh, I just want to get this again. So there is no figure or you don't have a figure yet of what that will cost.
2: We'll bring the next step of the plan forward in March with the March budget. Um, again, the, you're right. That recommendation, I mean, the last Liberal government started talking about doing it in, first in 2007. And um, I guess if they'd implemented it over four years, we would have had it in place uh, for a decade. So, so this is a, a problem in long-term care. Uh, you know, all of us acknowledge that the tragedy in long-term care both in Ontario and the rest of Canada and around the world is, is one of the real dark clouds out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it has taken, again, successive governments not to deal with this. And maybe the other aspect we've been dealing with and are dealing with is, is the physical facilities. Uh, the quality of care is so critical, um, but we've set aside $1.75 billion to you know, be an investment in the building of 30,000 beds and um, committed to four rapid builds uh, around the GTA that are going to see 1,200 beds built um, by the end of 2022. You know, between 2011 and 2018, there were 611 builds, beds built in the entire province when, when tens of thousands were needed. Just those four facilities are going to see double that number built. Uh, you know, before uh, or before by 2022. So, you know, this this is a big challenge. Uh, the Premier's committed to uh, fixing it, and the money will be there to do that.
1: What people are really worried about is now. We're in the second wave, and what we don't see uh, are things being done now to avoid the kind of tragedy we had in the spring. There are already about 85 nursing homes that are in outbreaks and we're seeing some of them that are having high death tolls
2: well it is we are again still in the middle of a global pandemic but 800 million dollars has been allocated since then and i think i think it's uh, fair to say that the situation is significantly different in terms of the supports uh you know we've acquired 1.1 billion dollars with the ppe uh, which has been allocated and, and available to all those long-term care facilities uh, we have testing protocols in place that simply weren't in place back in march and april when uh, when there wasn't the same understanding of the virus and its transmission rate. In fact, a number of those uh, identified cases you talked about are among staff that are being identified because of those testing protocols. And, of course, there are there are other protocols about visiting and, and staff hours and staff being dedicated to one facility. Uh, so there's a lot that has changed. But uh, we are absolutely in the middle of a very difficult second wave to the extent we're able to control... The virus count and the, the virus uh, load in, in communities, that, of course, is really important to protecting these uh, congregate living facilities and places where people are vulnerable. So, so it, is, it is something that we're all going to have to keep working on very hard, but, but there's been a, a lot that's changed for the positive, uh, including additional dollars for our PSWs uh, and other staff, and, uh, and we continue to make that progress.
1: You know, one of the things that the pandemic has changed, there are a lot of people who are not quite at that stage yet who are now bound and determined to avoid ever having to go into a nursing home. And uh, you offered some credits in this budget for seniors for things like chair lifts and grab bars. And the reaction of CARP to that was that, great, those things should be supported. But uh, having a good grab bar is not going to enable people to stay in their homes. What people need to be able to stay in their homes uh is home care more of it
2: well and and libby there are there there continue to be investments there uh, as well as in the new seniors active living uh program uh, additional investments twenty two percent increase in that uh, but i i've i guess in a, for the last uh, three or four days, I would say the seniors' home safety tax credit, which, as you said, uh, that'll be worth 25% of up to $10,000 in expenses. That has been very well received. Uh, and and I think particularly if we uh, look uh, riding like my own in Ajax, where we have multi-generational um, families, it's something that isn't just available for seniors. And remember, it's available with a t- as a tax credit, whether whether they pay taxes or not. But But it's also available for families that might have an elder in the home. And uh, and that is certainly the case in many homes. So so that kind of support, uh, you know, as you said, whether it's for uh, ramps or or elevation devices or 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 things like grab bars, I think that is being seen as quite supportive. And and you're quite right. We want to have seniors be able to stay and enjoy the homes that they live in as long as they can. Uh,
1: Now I turn to something that's more fun. Uh, the staycation credit that seems very interesting and innovative. Um, how is it going to work? It's if you take a vacation in Ontario, um, in in what time period you're going to get twenty percent back? How how is that going to work?
2: That's right. Well, what we want to do is make 2021 the year of the Ontario staycation. Now we're going to need to do that when it's safe. So we're going to be working both with the tourism industry and of course with our public health officials but the idea behind it and it's something i I say we borrowed uh from some previous uh sort of uh, downturns in other jurisdictions where they said you know people can't travel outside but let's have them travel inside well what what better because we know it's going to be safer to travel inside our borders than outside our borders so so the idea would be that there would be that, uh, that 20, uh, that 20% uh, tax credit for eligible expenses. We want to work with the tourism industry, but that's probably going to involve things like accommodation. And we just want people to really get out and enjoy, um, all the wonderful things there are to enjoy in Ontario. And, and I do think Libby, and of course we will be doing this when it's safe. Uh, you know, we might hope that's in the spring, but we're going to have to, you know, watch how, uh, we all make progress, uh, in terms of tackling the virus. But I think I think we can all agree that Ontarians are going to deserve a vacation and what a great thing to do to help our local tourism operators and businesses, but take it in Ontario in 2020.
1: So like we'll just have to save our receipts kind of thing? Likely,
2: likely. Yeah. And sorry, in 2021, I got the date wrong yeah. there. But uh, but what, yes, I mean we'll we'll again have all the details about how to make sure people can claim that back and make sure it's really clear. And our tourism operators are going to be you know very enthusiastic about making sure people are aware of it. So so there'll be more to come on this. And uh, and when it's safe, we hope that people will make uh, 2021 the year of the Ontario staycation.
1: So how how big is our tourism our tourism industry? I'm uh, I'm assuming it's down probably nearly a hundred percent.
2: It's many, many billions of dollars. And if you think about the, uh, just the American component of that, um, we typically, uh, you know, on average, uh, have about 1.1 million Americans coming into the province each and every month. And that number is down to 30 or 40,000 really just essential, you know, people that are, you know, uh, transporting food and other vital things. So if you just think about that alone, um, that, that tells you the scale of the challenge and and you know that uh, that isn't uh, changing in the immediate future so we need we need we need to help out our neighbors and and and, and enjoy our province uh, this coming year i think I think it's a it's a win.
1: a couple of weeks ago uh, the premier uh, gave one of his negative shout outs to the insurance industry saying they have to smarten up uh, because it's been much more difficult, if not impossible, for businesses to get insurance. Um, do you plan on doing anything about that? The only thing I've seen from the insurance industry is they're striking some kind of committee to help businesses find insurance yeah,
2: so so the week after that, and the premier and I also met with the, the leaders in the insurance industry and said you know, this is a time when you need to be uh, being helping out and be visibly helping out, and we've seen that from a lot of industries. So, the commitment from the, uh, the insurance industry has been to support small businesses. Uh, that they've, it's not so much a committee as a as a, uh, a sort of. Task force that is going to be committed to, you know, hearing directly from businesses that are having challenges getting insurance, uh, and then making sure that uh, that they can. So that was their commitment. Uh, the premier and I were pleased that they reacted so quickly. Obviously, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, there are just some some really awful stories about the increases in rates or even lack of availability uh, in, in in what many many businesses require to just do their do their daily business. So so we don't you know, we'll, we will keep on it this is a little bit like the auto insurance situation libby where where through our advocacy we got a billion dollars more in rebates back because people weren't driving their cars and There's you got it quickly well we did yeah. and and so that that you know we're going to stay on them this is a different area of the business we don't regulate uh commercial insurance in the province the way we regulate auto insurance where the pricing is managed by the province but but it's something that uh that is still on our radar and uh yeah, we'll take them at their word, but trust the verify. Uh,
1: timeline for it?
2: Well, they've all, they, they, they're, they're active now, and you know, again, I just uh, myself on the weekend referred uh, some uh, some businesses that I was talking to um, into into that uh, that task force, and you know, I'm sure that my constituents are going to let me know how that went.
1: Okay. Um, anything else you would like to leave us with? You know, just just
2: a thank you to everybody out there uh, in terms of. What what they're doing to keep all of us safe? It's wearing a mask. It's social distancing. It's the hand hygiene. Um, you know this. Uh, pandemic and Libby, you would have seen it is in the introduction of the budget. You know, I talked about you know we are we are you know going to be managing and dealing with this for a while. Um, we are all doing you know the best we can and working together. And something that really has separated Ontario and Canada from some other places in the world is that aspect of our civil society where we you know we we don't always agree, uh, but we take care of each other and we work together and we're going to come through this together. So thanks to all the listeners and thanks for you to keeping this conversation going.
1: Okay, Finance Minister. Mr. Rod Phillips, thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, safe to say the opposition doesn't buy those explanations, and on the line I have Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca for his take. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure, Libby. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Okay, well, uh, our big concern here is long-term care, and there was no allocation in the budget for that promise to staff up. Uh, What do you make of that?
3: I think that eight plus months into this pandemic, when we've all seen the heartbreaking stories coming out of nursing homes and how vulnerable seniors, their families, frontline workers in those nursing homes have just gone through, really gone through hell. I, you know, I think that there's no excuse um, for how disappointing it's been to see that Doug Ford did not come for, forward with an urgent plan that would have dealt with things like the four hours of care with um, ongoing increases in compensation for the personal support workers who are in working in those homes doing heroic work. I mean, it's just shocking to me that for all of the nice platitudes and the things that Doug Ford has said from the podium throughout the pandemic that he could not have mustered the leadership Uh, To and the resources to make the situation better, to me is an absolute betrayal of those vulnerable seniors and their families.
1: Well, the finance minister told me he said, "Hey, uh, we we haven't worked up all the numbers yet. Uh, We haven't put all that money aside, but we will do so in the March budget. Is is that soon enough?"
3: (laughs) Well, listen. I mean, I I know Rod. I know you know he's a decent human being. I, I caught the tail end of the interview. I. I don't understand how that's possible. I've had the honour of serving inside the Cabinet Room in two senior portfolios uh, over the course of four years, not too long ago. And I just don't understand how, when we saw the Canadian Armed Forces report come out in late May, when we've seen that the overwhelming majority of COVID-related deaths in Ontario have come from those nursing homes and have been our aging parents and grandparents, I don't know how they could not have possibly been ready at this point in time. I'll also note that earlier in the week before the budget, when they made their announcement about increasing the hours of care, what they effectively told those seniors and their families is that when they finally, eventually roll out their plan, that it's going to take four or five years to fully implement. So if you've got a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather in one of those nursing homes right now, can you honestly look at them and say, you've got to wait four to five more years before Doug Ford can figure this out? It's just inexcusable to me.
1: Now, he did make the point that the first time that recommendation came out, or not even the first time, your government was in in power and, and your government didn't put it in either.
3: Well, so I guess, Rod, like most conservative politicians, wants to be selective with the facts. In Ontario Budget 2018, we put in the, uh, the move towards uh, the four hours of care. We put in budgeting. We put in money into the 2018 budget would have delivered that by 2022 uh and so when doug ford came to power and rod phillips was part of that 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 move and and they became the government in ontario they decided they were going to go in a different direction in long-term care they decided not to honor the funding or the commitment that we would made and so now two plus years later they are playing catch-up because they chose to be reckless with their cutting in those first two years and not just reckless with their cutting in in terms of moving to four hours of care and improving the situation in long-term care they also cut in they cut inspections. They dramatically reduced the random inspections that would normally provide the protection that our seniors need. So it's a little bit disingenuous for Rod to suggest that it wasn't there. It was there in the twenty eighteen budget. As finance minister, he should know that. But to make our seniors wait five more years for progress when they're facing life and death situations right now is again just it's a betrayal
1: they have put a few interim measures into place um, first of all at least there's PPE now there's there's a, a rule that uh, PSWs and other workers can only work in one home there's a temporary a temporary uh, pay increase for people it, 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 is that enough to avoid the disaster that we had in the spring?
3: So for, you know first of all I don't think it is and it took Ontario it took Doug Ford close to two months longer than it took his counterpart in british columbia back in the spring when we were still dealing with the first wave to make the regulatory change that would keep psws working in one home as opposed to moving from home to home and inadvertently being perhaps asymptomatic spreaders of the virus close to two months longer for doug ford to move on that than it took his counterpart which didn't make sense to us back in the spring and we called him on it back in the spring but he didn't move any quicker secondly i have been touring in different parts of Ontario, since the province moved back to stage three, so starting in about the middle point of August. And I heard directly in August and September from personal support workers who were on the front lines of nursing homes who were still having difficulty with their managers and their management and their employers getting the personal protective equipment that they needed. I said, I've spoken directly to the Premier and others in his government about this. And his answer from the podium most days on this topic, Doug Ford's answer has been, all they have to do is call me. Just pick up the phone and call me. Look, Libby, it doesn't work that way. It should not be up to a personal support worker to pick up the phone and call the Premier of Ontario to actually make sure they have an N95 mask that they're able to wear in the nursing home that they happen to be working in. And and thirdly, again, I just, I can't for the life of me believe that our seniors who are very vulnerable right now will have to wait three, four, or five years. You talked about the wage increase. Sure, Doug Ford has come up with a wage increase, finally helping personal support workers earn a living wage. But guess what? It ends in March. It ends in March of 2021. It makes no sense. That increase in the wages that those personal support workers receive, women and men, mostly women, who work on the front lines in, in nursing homes and do heroic work, should be made permanent. It shouldn't disappear in March. But again, I don't think Doug Ford is prioritizing what we need in long-term care the way that it should be.
1: Well, um, from, from the interview I just did, I led to believe that things will be clearer, including the pay in the March budget. Uh, CARP has just launched a campaign calling uh, for uh, Merrily Fullerton, the long-term care minister, to be fired. Are you on board with that?
3: You know it's I, again, having spent some time serving inside cabinet, I think sometimes and I know this is carp, it's not opposition politicians, but other opposition politicians have called on the minister to resign or be fired. I'm less to be to, you know to be completely clear, I'm less about playing the games that you see within partisan politics and more interested in the results. And I'm also because again I had the chance to serve in cabinet, I know where the buck stops. And it ultimately doesn't just stop with the minister it stops with the person who's actually premier and doug ford is the premier of a province leading a majority government in our system that gives him enormous power and enormous resources that are at his disposal to lead on this so i'm not i again he all the way through all the way through doug ford has has said nice things from the podium he struck the right tone from the podium but you have to back up saying the right things and the tone with doing the right things, and with competence. And on long-term care, he is failing badly.
1: Is that your top priority? What what else do you see in there that needs more urgent attention?
3: Yeah, the three biggest glaring, I guess, missed opportunities in last week's budget were the long-term care piece that we've just spent some time talking about. Secondly, I have been literally saying since June and July that the government's back-to-school plan was a complete disaster it remains a complete disaster you know my wife and i have gone through like millions of other parents across ontario uh, tons of anxiety and concern about the way that the government went about the reopening of schools i said the cornerstone of their plan when i put forward our alternative plan should be the class sizes needed to be capped i called for a cap of 15 that's one five students in each class to keep the students safe to keep the educators safe to keep the students parents safe Uh, And I saw nothing in the budget last week that demonstrates to me that Doug Ford has learned his lesson about the importance of publicly funded education. And then lastly, while there were some measures in the budget to support small business entrepreneurs who've been battered very badly during the pandemic, A, I don't think those measures went far enough to help those small business entrepreneurs. Like, for example, in July, I called on Doug Ford to introduce a three-month sales tax holiday to help bring more consumers back into those stores. But secondly, there are thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, of workers, many of whom are employed in the small business sector, in the service sector, uh, who who've lost their jobs or being displaced or lost chances at, at employment. And in particular, we know what the stats show: women, people of color, uh, black people, indigenous people, disproportionately and negatively impacted. And nothing in the budget to show that Doug Ford is truly on their side. And again, that's a terrible disappointment. It's a betrayal. Of additional vulnerable people here in Ontario.
1: And aside from the sales tax holiday, what what else would have helped them?
3: Two other measures. So the sales tax holiday, I I called for in July the government to step in and help like in long-term care with the procurement and purchase of personal protective equipment so that those small business entrepreneurs could could reopen as we moved into stage three at the time and and help keep both their workers and their customers safe. A lot of small businesses were talking to me about the difficulty of navigating the procurement process for PPE. And lastly, you might recall that back in March, Doug Ford said that there'd be a whole bunch of payroll charges, things like WSIB premiums, employer health tax and others, that this government was going to defer the collection of those from businesses for six months, meaning that a massive bill would potentially come due in September or October. And back in July, I said that for small businesses in the hardest hit sectors, tourism, hospitality, the service sector, Doug Ford should consider an outright cancellation of collecting on those uh, those payroll charges as opposed to just a deferral and have that made up by the by the tax base. And we didn't you know we haven't seen that move either. So uh, I believe it's never the wrong thing to do the right uh, never the wrong time to do the right thing. and I hope that even though there are some measures in this budget that are aimed at small business that they will step up and realize they need to do more.
1: Okay. Uh, We're out of time. Stephen Del Duca, Liberal Leader, thank you so much for your thoughts.
3: Thank you, Libby. I appreciate it.
1: Okay. And uh, that is all the time we have for today. You're
0: listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.